prophecy, by definition, uh, is, is highly motivational. It's uh, foretelling of the future according to God's plan uh, with specificity, uh, which is, by the, re by the way, one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God, its ability to foretell the future with specificity. No other book on the planet does that. So you would expect if it was God's book, it would have the ability to do that because God is outside of time and space. But back to my sermon. Prophecy is motivational. Uh, and I know it's motivational because of places where it says it's motivational. Second Peter 3.10, Paul, uh, Peter says this. He says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Like everybody's going to be shocked when Jesus shows up. Uh, it says, In which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So in an instant, the Lord is going to nuke the cosmos as we know it. I mean, the universe. Um, and, and destroy it. Uh, and why? Well, because it's permeated with sin and evil. And he's going to destroy it at the end of time. And he's going to recreate, according to Revelation 21, verse 1, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And all saints will enjoy the new cosmos. He says, by the way, if you're, like, you're wondering like, what you're going to do in heaven, that's a whole other fascinating study. Because you're going to have the entire universe that's recreated to enjoy with a body that can get there, like across the galaxies, not like what you have now. So heaven is going to be an amazing city to enjoy, also just the universe that God will enjoy. Who knows, we can go hang out some other place, some other galaxy, enjoying all that God has made. So great things await us, but he's going to destroy it. A lot of scholars say this sounds a lot like a supernova, like something happens that where he just nukes the things as we know it. But notice how motivational that is in verse 11. Peter then adds, concerning the day of the Lord, he says, since all of these things are to be destroyed, uh, notice the cause and effect, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So the reality of the fact that the Lord's going to come back uh, and deal with sin and Satan uh, and, and, and expunge the cosmos of sin uh, and establish righteousness uh, to rule forevermore, that should affect how you live on a daily basis, that you should be dealing with sin in your own life prior to the Lord coming back and dealing with it. And by the way, like when is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord uh, is, a, is a, a concept that denotes um, different things. Uh, from this perspective, since we know what prophecy prophesies, uh, we know that uh, the next thing on God's timetable is the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, which we talked about. He's going to snatch the church out before he deals with Israel again in the tribulation for seven years. Uh, that's when the Antichrist hits the planet, deceives the world, etc. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back in the second coming to establish his messianic kingdom as prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, given in great detail in Revelation 20. At the end of the that thousand-year kingdom of Christ, uh, you'll have the final insurrection of the godless against Christ's rule, and the Lord's Father, the Holy Father, will destroy all the wicked at that time, and then we'll have that vaporization of the cosmos. That's a, a thousand and seven years total, uh, if you add, add all that up. Uh, the Lord is going to do that. But in the meantime, Paul has been talking about the rapture of the church, which is the next thing on God's timetable. And he says this should be motivational. And we know it's motivational, as Peter talked about, because the rapture is just as motivational as the day of the Lord at the end of time, because it should change your lifestyle. Because the rapture is that which can happen imminently. Nothing needs to happen prophetically uh, for the Lord to appear, as we talked about when we went through uh, Thessalonians several months ago, uh, chapter 4. So what we've done in chapter 5 is looked at, well, if the Lord's coming back imminently, how, how should this change my life? Uh, and that's exactly what these verses are about that we've studied in detail. So we've been answering the question, how should a Christian live in light of the Lord's imminent return? Um, 
he's divided into three, three quadrants. Uh, number one, he talked about our duty toward our leaders, verses 12 to 13 of chapter 5. In light of the fact that the Lord's coming, uh, you should follow church leadership. Uh, and so when you, when you come to church, you should be following what the leaders are doing, saying needs to be done, etc. Now, as I told you, uh, you can go back and listen to the sermon. If leadership, you know, gets into heresy, is morally compromised, etc., you should uh, admonish them. But he says, by and large, you should follow the spiritual leaders of your church. Um, number two, verses 14 to 15, he says, you, choose, you have a duty toward other followers, other, other people, other Christians, and other non-Christians. So you have to look at what we talked about there. Uh, is your, has your life changed toward other people around you? And what should your character be like? Then today we're going to turn and look at your duty toward the Lord himself. Um, and we already had the first command. And these are all commands in the Greek text, by the way. Present tense command. The, the command from last week, uh, that was a hard one. Rejoice always. <laughs> How was your week? Was it a joyful week? Or not a joyful week. Oh, let's put it this. How many had things happen to you that were not joyful, and then all of a sudden you remembered the sermon? Anybody willing to confess? This is a confessional booth. So you're confessing. This happened to you, and you're thinking something bad happened, and you're like, yeah, I remember the sermon. What was the sermon? To rejoice always. And you're thinking, man, I should have skipped that Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, same thing happened to me. So rejoice always. So we talked about that, that a Christian who's growing in their faith, no matter what happens, good things, bad things, they know God's in control. He's sovereign. So I, I, I need to be happy because God has his hand on the will. All hope is not lost, right? Or you, none of, you weren't here last week? Yeah. Now, today he's going to add a second rule in your, in your responsibility toward the Lord. The Lord can come back imminently to change how you respond to leaders, followers uh, of Jesus, and how you should... Well, respond to the Lord. Second rule is about as hard as the last one. Verse 17. What does it say? Where are you whispering? Yeah. Well, pray without ceasing. Serious? Serious. Lord, are you serious? Pray without ceasing? That's impossible. Right? Like, how am I going to do that? I got a job. I got a wife. I've been married 43 years. Should I tell Liz goodbye? In fact, I told her goodbye today when I put her on the plane to go to Florida. What's up with that? I'm here working. She's chilling with a friend down there. You know, am I, am I supposed to like pray while I'm driving? Well, probably in D.C. Um, <laughs> pray without ceasing. But I mean, do I have to walk away from my responsibilities to my wife, to my dog, to my house, to my yard? Say it's not so. Uh, you know, pray, pray. I mean, do I just check myself into a monastery uh, and just, you know, pray all the time? Is that what we want to do? In fact, did I, as a side note, did I ever tell you the first time I went to a monastery? Did I tell you about this? I didn't tell the last service. This is extra. I went to a monastery before I came here just to kind of chill, hear God, etc. I brought my laptop. You know, I brought my cell phone. I brought all my stuff. I walk in. The brother gives me the room to go chill in for a couple of days. And I'm like, yeah, where'd I plug in? Nowhere. What do you mean nowhere? There's no electricity. Oh, my Lord, there's no electricity. <laughs> How am I going to get on the internet? What internet? There's no internet. What do you mean there's no internet? You're in a monastery. Serious? How do you guys like connect with God? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> anyway, back to my sermon. So when he says pray without ceasing, I mean, is that, do you ever read these things in the Bible and sometimes go, whoa, like how's that one going to happen? So do you? That was how I read. So let's think about it. Number one, uh, as with the last command, do you like adverbs? 
four people love adverbs. So let's think about it. So adverbs. So, so what's the big about adverb? So it, it matters greatly where the adverb is in the sentence because the Greek text is inspired and every jot and tittle, every, the, the, the smallest letter in Hebrew, which is a yod, like a Y, and the smallest stroke of a pen in Hebrew that differentiates like a D, a dalet, the letter D from a, a bait, they look very similar. This one little tail makes it a, a, a B, not a D in Hebrew. So he says, down to the smallest stroke of a pen uh, is inspired. So it matters greatly where the adverb is placed, doesn't it? Okay, so it, does the adverb come before the verb or after the verb? I don't know. Oh, well, I know. It comes before the verb. So what's that mean? It, if we put the adverb before the verb, it means it's emphatic. So let's read that. Uh, it doesn't read pray without ceasing. It says without ceasing, pray. Oh, wow. Okay, I, I get it. I'm supposed to be a person of prayer. Okay, it's a command. Uh, it's a present tense command, right? So let's think about that. Uh, we have a lot of Greek students here studying Greek at Dallas Seminary. We have a campus here. We have 100, about 150, 60 students working on master's degree. Many of them are taking Greek and Hebrew. So this is for them. If you're not taking Greek, Greek or Hebrew, we'll just enjoy the grammatical discussion we're going to have right now, right? Because you, you're not leaving, right? So you're here. So it's a present tense command. So I have a couple of options. If it's a durative form of the present tense command, it means I continually do this. It means I continually pray. Okay, so you have to ask yourself, did Paul continually pray? Probably not. Like, what was his occupation? Tip maker. So I highly doubt he's working with the clients. He's praying the entire time. He's probably talking to them, you know, taking payment, stuff like that. Uh, we know he debated in synagogue, so he wasn't praying. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things he did where he shows he wasn't praying. So it can't be the durative use of the present tense. Well, then what are my other grammatical options? Uh, iterative use of the present tense means uh, it, it happens quite a bit, but not all the time or habitually. Um, when I bought my house, I knew I was buying a house where Lake Braddock High School's football field was over my fence off to the side. And they, the realtor told me, you realize where you're buying your house? Yeah, I love football. I just didn't realize it was going to be in my living room on Friday nights. But but I knew, I knew the football field was over there. Uh, but what I didn't know, it was about a year or so after I had moved in there. I was on one of my upstairs bedrooms. And uh, it was a night, and I was closing the blinds. And I looked out, and I'm like, whoa, what's that? And I looked off in the distance, and uh, it was, I was looking basically back toward the Brook Nursery. You know where that is? Over that way, toward Rolling Road, that way, at that angle. Um, and I see this, like, uh, light strobing. Have you seen this tower? Do you pay attention? There, there's a tower over there, a big tall tower, and there's a strobe on top of it. It's constantly going off. And whenever you look at it, now that's all you're going to see when you drive by there. Um, and I'm looking at it going, why did you ever notice that before? It's, it's, it's on, it's off. It's on, it's off. What's its purpose? Airplanes, helicopters, right? You don't want to fly into that thing. So they're telling you, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, right? But it's not on all the time, but it's on a lot of the time. That's kind of like this, this iterative use of this particular command. I don't pray all the time, but I do pray, and it's constant. That's what he's talking about. When he says pray without ceasing, he's merely saying uh, have a habit of prayer. That when you think about things, you pray. So when you do get in a slug lot and you just step into somebody's car, you have any idea who they are. Am I right? Nor do you know how they Who gets in and goes, could I see a driving record? No, you don't do that. You trust that what? They can drive. But if you find out they can't drive, you better pray, right? I mean, it's just that kind of thing. But regardless, you're going to pray when, you, when you're doing simple things. But how about complex things? You get to work, complex things are happening at work. Do you sit there and think, I can solve this with everything I learned when I was in college? 
I'm going to put my thinking cap on and fix this. Now, if you're a Christian and you're growing in Christ, you're going to pray. It just like comes natural. Friend comes over to your cubicle at the Pentagon. There's no windows. You know, they're depressed because there's no windows. And they're talking to you about their life issues. And you're coming along going, hey, what's going on? They got problems. You don't just walk away and go, hey, that's, that's too bad for you. See you later. Uh, no, if you're a Christian, you pray, right? How do you roll? You, you pray. And if you pray with them right there, like a lot of people go, hey, I'll be, I'll be praying for you. But then they walk away. Why don't you just pray for them right then? And just pray for them. You let, let you know you care about them, you love them, and you took them before God's throne. I, by the way, I've never had anybody, anybody tell me, don't pray for me. Pray for them. Uh, because that's just, that's, just habitually, that's just habitually what you do. Now, this is more personal. I debated whether to talk about this, but it is a real thing. If you're over 50, you get up in the middle of the night. Why are you laughing? Don't you? Why are you getting up? We won't talk about that. But I will say to you, when you get up, because it happens to me, when I get up in the middle of the night, people's names come to my mind. Like people on the prayer chain, things that are on the prayer chain, people had surgery, people had a loss, people lost. I mean, those people's minds come to my mind in the middle, you know, two, three in the morning. Uh, it, and, and I think about them, and, and, and that's when I'm like, I need to pray for them. Pray for them. It's just, that's habitual prayer. It's like a strobe on and went back to sleep. But, but it's just praying like that. Do you have a, a prayer life that's habitual? That, that your go-to is you talk to God? Because that, that's what it's all about. Uh, how is your inner prayer life? Not being in a monastery, praying 24-7. No, it's just your lifestyle's prayer. Now, the realities of praying. We want to talk about the realities of this particular rule. There's five things I want to talk about, uh, about praying without uh, ceasing. Number one, uh, if you possess an attitude of prayer, it's habitually what you do, it means you're cognizant that God's with you. Remember his last thing that he said before he ascended? He gave us the Great Commission. You know, go into all the nations, preach the gospel, etc. Then the last thing he's going to say is, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Does Christ lie? No. So he's with you. It doesn't matter what you are doing, where you are at, who you are at, no matter what. He says, I'm always going to be with you. One person finds that totally important. Praise God for you. Yeah. Aren't you glad that the Lord is with you? I mean, if you're on a plane at 40,000 feet, the Lord is with you. If you're on a battlefield and you got incoming... The Lord is with you. It doesn't matter where you are. The Lord is with you. He will not desert you. So when you have an attitude of prayer, you're really talking to Christ who you know is there. Uh, that's habitual prayer. So uh, I remember when my parents dropped me off in L.A. to go to college. Drove four hours from El Centro up to L.A. They dropped me off. They were with me for the weekend. Uh, had all the festivities at Azusa Pacific University. It was all great. Came the day for me to kiss them goodbye. And they, and they drove away in the car. Now I don't have wheels but I'm free in L.A. This is cool. 18, and there go my parents. And it was that moment of, whoa, this is awesome. And then it was like, oh, no, this is sad. You know what I mean? I don't have any money. <laughs> you know? My dad was my source of food, you know? Uh, but I'm like, oh, no. no. It's more like uh, I'm growing up, you know, awesome and sadness at the same time. But, Lord, thanks for my parents. Because when you have an attitude of prayer, you stop and, as a young person and say, God, thank you for my parents that love me enough to send me here, who support me, who work so I can come here. That's, that's a young person. Uh, if you're going to ranger school, you're going to need prayer. Any rangers? Anybody been to ranger school? Anybody in the military? 
Yeah. If you go to ranger school, you're, you're going to need to pray. Why? It's not going to be simple. It's going to push you to the limit. There's going to be many times you're going to be needing to pray. But if you're a growing Christian, it's just going to come natural. Number two, uh, habitual prayer life is needed because you always need more wisdom. Why do you always need more wisdom? Because you're not that wise. I mean, somebody stopped me before the first, before I got here. I got it early in the morning before the service, and some uh, older saint walked up to me and said, if Jesus came to you today and were to ask you, what do you want from him today? What would you tell him? I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to get to my sermon. I mean, like, huh? What would you ask him? I'm like, uh, and he was an army ranger, by the way. They're very commanding. You got to answer them on the spot. I need an answer. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Um, well, I can think of two things I need. Uh, I need wisdom, and I need humility. And I don't know, I need both of those, but, but, I, but I, I need wisdom every day. Why? Complex issues run in the church. Did you know that? Complex. How do you do it in a way that honors God? Complex life issues. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, if you're married and you've got mayhem going on with your mother-in-law, mother-in-law mayhem, are you ever experienced it? Oh, you are the mother-in-law? Great mayhem? Yeah. <laughs> if you're the son in law or whatever or whoever you're going to need some wisdom to know how to navigate with that one um james chapter 1 verse 5 says but if any of you lacks wisdom do what ask god who will withhold it from you for eons no it's it says he's going to give it to all men generously not just a smidgen a lot and without reproach and he'll give he's going to give it to him He's going to give it to you. So if your wife is constantly telling you over the last 15 years, there's just a few things about your personality that need modification because it makes our marriage really difficult. And all of a sudden you have an aha moment after one of her presentations. <laughs> and you really, well, honey, or baby, whatever you call her, that's just the way I am. That's the way I roll. It's the way I am. Well, that ain't working for me. And all of a sudden you have to, you know, come to Jesus moment like, okay, I need to do something. But I can't, I can't, that's just, I'm just wired that way. Don't tell me you can't pray that. If you were the man, what should you be praying? All the men are going to get quiet at this point. Um, what should you be praying? Lord Jesus, help me. I, I need some wisdom to know how to, how do, I, how do I be a better man? And if you're a wife thinking, I'm glad he's using a man as, as an illustration. <laughs> let's just flip it around because it applies both ways. So don't be going home and go, he told you. Uh, no, it's, it's the other way. Okay. Because I only have 30 minutes. I can't cover every scenario. Number three. Habitual prayer life is warranted because the devil never sleeps. Do you hear me? He never sleeps. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. If you're a Christian, what's he tell you? You better wake up. You better be sober. You better be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, like a what? Like a lion. What's, his, what's he looking for? disillusion you, discourage you, shipwreck your faith, get you in with the wrong friends, wrong way, getting you into false theology. I mean, he's looking for every which way to like ruin your faith. So you, you need to be on your game because he's constantly looking for weaknesses. That's what he does. You have weaknesses? Did you see how quiet everybody is? Because in the last service, I asked the same question and it was super quiet. Like nobody has a weakness? <clears throat> well, not really. I mean, yeah, sure you do. So if you're the devil, what do you think he's looking for? Your weakness. When I was on the wrestling team in high school, I mean, when you, when you went up against your, when you shook hands, when I shook hands, I let that dude have all my grip. To let him know, it's going to be rough on you. You might pin me, but I'm going to snap your ankle off or something with my grip, you know. But, but, 
But as, but as I'm doing that, I'm looking for his weaknesses, right? Are you with me? This is what you do. No one wrestled? Not one person. You did. Thank God for you. You're looking for the weaknesses, and you attack the weak. The devil's looking for your weaknesses. And so be on the alert. These are your weaknesses. Uh, and, and, and be in prayer for God to help me in my weaknesses that he does not have power over me. You don't have to fear the devil, but you need to be a person in prayer. I mean, think, think about uh, Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Was he praying or playing? He is playing. He's playing with sleep. When he should have been praying, he was playing. So the Lord is off praying three times, Lord, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me. And Peter and the disciples are catching Z's. I mean, a critical time in world history, and they're asleep. I mean, how many times have you been asleep when you should have been praying for yourself? You see what I mean? And that is a great illustration. They, the devil nailed them. In fact, it was later that evening that Peter's going to deny how many times? Three, that I don't even know the man. Unbe unbelievable. So be in prayer for yourself. Number four, habitual prayer leads to results. How do I know? Jesus said so. Where did he say that? Matthew 7, first sermon he preached. Verse 7, and most Christians know this. Ask, and you're never going to get it. No, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you're going to find. Knock on the door of heaven. It's going to be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. All the verbs there are, are imperatives in the present tense, meaning uh, your prayer life, if you don't think you have any results, according to what James says later in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. I mean, the Lord just never answers my prayers. It's just, and it's just silence in heaven. It's bronze. I mean, they don't even get through my prayers. How many times do you ask Jesus about X, Y, Z? Once. No results, huh? What did he say? Perpetually ask. Perpetually seek. Perpetually knock. Why in the Lord, why does he do that? Uh, let me share a couple of ideas with you. Why, why God makes you do this perpetually. If he gave you everything that you asked for instantly, what kind of person would you be? Probably incorrigible. I mean, could you imagine, you know, I don't know about you, but every time I ask, he can knock, doors open, man, results. Every time, within, I don't know, within 24 hours, boom. You would have issues with pride, would you not? But because, because he makes you constantly knock, then it makes you lean on him, right? So because you have to lean on him, it creates faith in you, and you continually knock. I'm like, like with Liz's dad, my wife's dad, uh, two tours in Vietnam as a Navy medic with a Marine unit in a surgical tent in a forward position. He saw it all. He was a Jew. He was an atheistic Jew. He was not a pleasant atheistic Jew. He wouldn't let me, once, once I led Christ, Liz to, to Christ, I mean, her, the, the day she got baptized, he made that day terrible for her when she got home, that she dared get baptized. And then he wouldn't let me pray in the house. I mean, I never thought Dave would ever get saved. And then, then he did on Memorial Day, this, this soldier, the sailor. He got saved. I was shocked when he got saved. But people had prayed for him for years, years, asking, seeking, knocking. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but do something with that man. And God's like, well, I will. Uh, sometimes you've got you to pray for a long time. Maybe you gave up too soon. Now, sometimes God does answer right away, doesn't he? Like King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19, he's surrounded by the uh, Assyrian army, the Sennacherib, the warlord. They're terrible to be attacked by. I mean, they, they take no prisoners. And so in 2 Kings 19, 15 to 20, he goes right to the Lord as, as the king in prayer and says, God, you got to help me. 
And the Lord hears his prayer and, and, and delivers him from the, the, the Sennacherib's uh, war machine. So sometimes God does answer a desperate prayer quickly. Sometimes he makes you wait. And like Paul asked the Lord to deliver him three times from his physical malady, Second uh, uh, Chronicle, or Corinthians chapter 12. And the Lord finally tells him, no, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. But he asked him three times. Uh, how many times did the Lord Jesus uh, ask for the cup to be passed from him? Three times he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. And the Lord, the Father, says from heaven, basically to the Son, Son, you know you have to drink from that. Or, or nobody gets saved because you don't get crucified. You, you, you need to bear the sin of the world. And so the, even that prayer, three times he knocked on the door of heaven, and the, and the answer was not what he expected. But it was a great answer. Which leads to verse 9 of chapter 7 about habitual prayer. If you ask, seek, and knock, uh, how does God roll? Well, it says in verse 9 how God rolls. Verse 9 what man, Jesus says, is there among you when he has a son shall ask him for a loaf? He's going to then give him a stone. So imagine after this church service, and you're getting hungry because what time is it? It's 10 to 12. I mean, it's time to stop this sermon and get on to some food, right? And you tell your children, hold tight. He'll finish here in a few minutes. He always does. And we'll go to five guys. Right? You tell your teenagers, five guys. They're expecting hamburgers, right? Basically. And you walk in there, and you order your food, and you hand him... Like a, a, like a river rock out of the garden. Here, son, chew on that for a while. You will have an insurrection inside your vehicle if this happens. I'm just saying. So what dad rolls like that? Any dad roll like that? No, no. You, you kids want hamburgers? We're going for hamburgers. That's what we're going to do. You get bread. And Jesus says, if you, your son asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. No dad would do that. Here, son's a copperhead. <laughs> Now, notice he's going to argue from the less, lesser to the greater, from men, you know, to the father. Notice what he says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, well, then how much more shall your father who is in heaven give you what is good to those who ask him? Isn't that the truth? See, a lot of people who think, I'm going to ask, seek, and knock, and he's going to give me something I really don't want, so I'm not asking. Am I right? God's capricious. No, he's not. He loves you, cares about you. And if an earthly father acts like this, he's like, how in the world would the heavenly father give you something that will be harmful to you? No, he will only do that which is good to you. So some of you are new because we lose 20% of our church every year and you don't know me. Right? Or they're not here. <laughs> Man, they talk in this church. This is totally bizarre. Um, when, when I applied for this job, or before I applied for this job, and I'm praying about God, what do you, you know, I've, I've been at my church for 20 years. I think you want me to go somewhere else. Where do you want me to go? I'll follow you. I told God, these Western states. <laughs> I'll go to Arizona. I love Arizona. Uh, California, for sure. That's where I'm from. Mm, I might, you might could get me over to Nevada. Uh, New Mexico, mm, not a whole lot of people there. I do like the Santa Fe area, et cetera. Albuquerque, I like Albuquerque. And I told the Lord, uh, Oregon, totally cool with that. And Washington State. Just, you know, right, just move me there. I prayed that for a year. I sent my resumes to all kinds of churches in all those places. No, 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 no. No, they all told me no. I'm like, what's up with God? I'm knocking, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm giving you a couple states to choose from. He's laughing from heaven. What's he thinking? You ain't going to the West Coast. You ain't going to the Midwest. You're going on the other side of the country. No man's land. East Coast. And think about it. 
The thing I thought was the worst thing that could ever happen, God's like, I'm going to send you to the other side of the country. And it will bless you. You can bless people. They're going to bless you. They're going to bless your church. I mean, I didn't know any of that was going to happen. But I asked God for, you know, bread. Man, he gave me fresh bread. Wasn't what I anticipated. But I thank him for what he did. Because now I'm a Virginian. And um, enjoying this side of the country. Isn't that the way God rolls? You pray this and God's like, son, I got something bigger and better that you don't even know about. So trust God. He's going to do that. Third rule. So what was that command? Pray what? Without ceasing. Without ceasing. Third, the third rule toward God is, oh, this one's rough too. I'm sorry. <laughs> and everything, give thanks. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're playing with my mind. Rejoice always. Serious. And now in everything, in everything, give thanks. Really? I got to give thanks in everything. Um, did you have things happen this week that, that were not optimal that you're like, there is no way I can give thanks for that? I mean, it just happens. Stuff happens to you. You know, I just put those new tires on the car. What do you mean I got to screw through one of them? Well, sorry. Oh, it's in the sidewall. The whole tire is compromised. Serious? I got to buy a whole new tire? Praise God. Hallelujah. No. <laughs> That's probably not happening, right? That type of thing. So he says, uh, give, in everything, give thanks. No leakage there. How do you do that? Like, how is that possible? Uh, it's possible when you understand that God's sovereignly in control. It's just, like we, it's just like the rejoice evermore. How can you rejoice when hard things happen? Well, because I, I, God's hands on the wheel. He knows what he's doing. He's way beyond my pay grade doing stuff I can't even comprehend. So I can, I can rejoice with that. And if I understand he's in sovereign control, well, then I can be thankful for all things, even if they're hard things, even if they're scary things, but he's doing the best possible thing because he loves me. How do I know God's in control? Well, the scriptures tell you everywhere if you pay attention. Proverbs 16, verse 9. This is probably hard for organized, highly disciplined people in, in D.C. to read, but notice what it says. The mind of a man plans his way. He was writing about people in D.C. No kidding. I asked a two-star army general here one time, how, how, how far forward are you guys planning in your department for the future? Oh, he said 30 years, 30 years out, different, different scenarios and ops and things. Oh, yeah, 30, 30 years? Uh, the mind of the man plans his way. Uh, you might need to read this verse, but the Lord does what? He directs your steps. I mean, it, he's, he's controlling things. So it's a whole other sermon series, but do you have a free will? Do you have a free will? You have a free will with it, whether to answer that question or not, right? Right? You have a free will. But, but God's omniscient and I'm, 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 he's, right, he knows all things. He's omnipotent. He has all, all power. So you can't outbox what he's going to do, what he wants to be done, right? And somehow in eternity, those two things come together. But he's sovereignly in control. Uh, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart. No kidding. But the counsel of the Lord is going to stand. Uh, Lamentations 3.37, who is there who speaks and it doesn't come to pass unless the Lord is commanding it? He knows everything that's going to come out of everybody's mouth all over the planet, all the time, every day, he's sovereign. So if he is totally sovereign, I, I need to relax because he's in control of those things I don't like and I can give him thanks for him. Jerry Bridges, uh, in his book, Trusting God, says this about God's sovereignty. It says, God is in control. He's sovereign. He does whatever pleases him and determines whether uh, we can do what we have planned. This is the essence of God's sovereignty. His absolute independence to do as he pleases and absolute control over all his creature's actions. No, no creature, person, or empire can ever, th ever thwart his will or act outside the bounds of his will. That's how I make it from day to day. 
As I watch evil and sin increase in my world at alarming rates, a man could lose hope. But because I know the Lord, well, he's, he's in control of this. The king's coming. And what do I got to do? Well, I got to rejoice until he comes back and give thanks and things when they happen to, because God is in control. Remember Ruth in the little book of Ruth, four chapters, the book of Ruth? She was a Moabitess. She wasn't a Jew. She marries into a Jewish family. Her husband dies. Uh, she leaves Moab where she, they worship Chemosh, the god, the polytheistic system. She goes over to Israel with her mother-in-law. She's, she's not from Israel. She goes to a people who aren't her people. Uh, happens, you know, they're poor. She happens to go gleaning in a field. Uh, and is gleaning in the field of a guy named Boaz, just happens to be in his field. He goes out to check out, you know, the people working in his field, happens to see her and thinks to himself, oh, yeah. I'm single. I wonder if she's single. She's a pretty girl. Where's she from? Uh, she's a Moabitess. Deuteronomy 7 says a Jewish boy is not supposed to marry a Moabite girl. Well, maybe God can help me modify this, you know. He falls in love with her. You read the story? She falls in love with him. He just happened to be from what line? Line of David, David the king. Uh, God takes this mixed marriage uh, and brings the Messiah Jesus through them. Don't tell me God can't fix mistakes. That's a whole other sermon. But see, what, what happened in that situation, God says, even in that, I'm sovereignly working to bring the Messiah through those two young people. Amazing. I remember when my dad had his first heart attack of several. Uh, it was a, called a widow's heart attack. It usually kills men. It didn't kill him. And so I went to the cardiac unit. I was upset, you know, emotional. It's your father. He's in bed, all these monitors and everything. I went into the cardiac unit, um, and I'm, I'm talking to my dad. Uh, and one of the nurses comes in and tells me, uh, there's, a, there's a gentleman, uh, you know, in the cardiac unit uh, a couple doors down. Uh, he wants to talk to you. I'd be like, huh? I'm here to see my dad. Who, who is he? Uh, his, his name's Dr. Buckman. He wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, uh, that was a lifelong friend of our family. So he's a dentist, uh, very successful. And so uh, I said, okay, yeah. So I, I walked down to the room and went in. Uh, he was a cardiac patient. So go figure. My dad, Al, and Dr. Buckman had heart attacks at the same time. At the same time. They wound up in the cardiac unit at the same time. What I think is ultimately terrible, my dad's heart attack, how could I rejoice in this? Dr. Buckman, a non-Christian, but a good man, has a heart attack, knows I'm in the hospital, asked for me to come down and talk to him. God had a plan in all of that. I walked into his room, see him laying in the bed. He's propped up. He's like, oh, Marty, I've been waiting to talk to you. I heard your dad was in here with me. And I go, yeah, what do you want to talk about? I've never had a theological discussion with Dr. Buckman, ever. I did that day. I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, well, you know me, scientific person, thinking person, you know. And I, you know, I don't dabble in spiritual things, but he said, uh, something happened to me last night when they brought me into the room and I was in here by myself. I go, yeah, what happened? He goes, I was leaning in here and he said, I'm just looking around the room. The TV was off and I'm just looking around the room. And he said, pretty soon, all of a sudden, there's just a man at the end of my bed standing there. What do you mean a man? Just, just a man. And he, and he said, uh, he didn't come into the room like through the door. He's just standing there. And I said, well, what was going on? He goes, he was just smiling at me. And he said, I could just sense the love of that man. And he said, uh, who do you think that was? I said, well, Dr. Buckman, uh, in, you know, in your atheism, I think God just got your attention. Uh, that, that's probably Jesus. He goes, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Did you know Dr. Buckman got saved? He got saved. 
This man who had never walked with God, my dad has a heart attack. He has a heart attack. They wind up in the hospital, doors away from each other. He finds out I'm there. He asks for a pastor to come see him. This guy gets saved. See, even in a heart attack, you can thank God. Because what? God's got a plan he's working on. What's the command? In all things, give thanks. Why? Because God's working. Now, why should you give thanks? It's pretty simple. Verse 18 says why you should give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's, it's God's will for you. How many Christians have told me, I just never know what God's will is. Are you kidding me? He just told you what his will was. What is his will? Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you. So you have an assignment when you leave today. Are you ready? You're going to leave from here, and you're going you're gonna to tell the Lord, there's one thing happening in my life right now I'm not rejoicing over. And I'm not giving thanks over. Uh, and I'm going to give thanks today for that. Because it's your will that I do that. And I will trust that you will do great things in and through this. Right? I'm going to leave, Lord, and I'm going to have some time with you to tell you. I'm going to rejoice about this. I'm going to give thanks for this. And I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to look for you to do great things. And he will. And he's going to blow your mind. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. Because you're ready to go to five guys. <laughs> God, thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for how you speak to us clearly through the word. Not always easy to hear what you say, but we know what's right in our souls. Uh, may we be people who do have a habit of prayer uh, because it is important that we approach your throne because you hear us, and as a loving Father, you respond to us in ways that are profound. Help us to give thanks in whatever you send our way, knowing that you are doing great things that echo in eternity. In Christ's name, amen.